Well, for those of you who don't know me, I am Shelly Carl, and my husband and I have been here, I think, about seven years. And I thought it was interesting on the um, uh, slide that was for offering, it said, this is home. And I, I don't think I've ever seen that before, and I was going to say that, that for us, this is home. And so I thought, yeah, that's right. That's good. I'm going to speak on Ephesians today, and... Um, by the way, Pastor Sam obviously isn't here. He's away, and he asked me to speak. And when he did, I had been um, doing my own personal study because of some angst within me. And uh, we went into the COVID shutdown, and I thought after like a week of it, after the surreal part of it, I thought, oh, this is interesting. This is like a forced Sabbath that we have never experienced in our history that everybody is sent home to not work. I thought, mm, Lord, what are you doing? This is, this is, you're in control of everything, so I know it's not this fly-by-night thing. You knew this was going to happen, so, okay, I'm going to get into the flow of this. And, and I can honestly say, aside from the... Um, little irritations of not being able to get together and things like that. I really loved it. I had to go um, downtown and take my daughter every week to a medical treatment, and I loved the freeways being, you know, they, the big signs, stay home, and I thought, I can't, so here I am. But it was lovely not being in bumper-to-bumper traffic like we had been for years before that, so things like that. I loved taking walks with my daughter, and just having them all home, those kinds of things I will never forget. But anyway, after it droned on, I kind of forgot about the fourth Sabbath and that it was a spiritual time. And we had society open up again. And I don't think I was ready to relate to people quite yet. (laughs) It had been quiet. You know, we'd been running a rat race our whole lives. And then we stop and then we get back with people. And it's like, whoa, you're a little forceful today. Or my hearing is not quite right. And and pretty soon I, I felt like I was getting more and more beat down. And then not to mention the global church online that was not being very friendly And then I'd get together with friends that I hadn't seen in years, and they weren't very friendly. And then pretty soon, I wasn't very friendly to, I was, my communication with my husband was getting a little wonky, and I'm like, this is just weird. I got to dig down and find out what's going on in me. And so this is where this study came from. So my prayer today is that you're encouraged that you're um, strengthened, that we're kind of like around a room with coffee in hand, just kind of visiting around the word. And that's my prayer today, is that we're reminded that he is worthy of it all and to keep him in our focus. So Ephesians three fourteen to 20. For this reason, I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, 
that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. The main thing I'm going to focus today in is that Christ being rooted and grounded in Christ and so full of his love that we're able to understand that width, length, height. And I I find it so interesting that Paul wrote this this way where when I read that, I think, oh, is that even possible? And then it says, now unto him who is able, not unto me who's able, unto him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. So before we go diving into this part of Ephesians, I kind of want to give background on the book of Ephesians as well as the writer, and then we'll come back around. So Ephesians, what was it like? Ephesus was considered second only to Rome. It was a cosmopolitan center of trade of goods, traveling to and from its harbor, and its population exceeded 250,000, about double Gresham. Present day, it's approximately 30,000. So at the time, it was this bustling um, area, much like our city has been. There was a temple to Diana, and it was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Ephesus was full of wizards, sorcerers, astrologers, diviners, and palm readers, much like today. So who was the writer? Well, that was Paul. And so we're just going to catch him in Acts 9. I find it very interesting that the beginning of this uh, scripture, as soon as it's up there, it says, meanwhile, and I read before that part in Acts, and it was saying how Tim, uh, um, Philip had been in the carriage with the eunuch, and then he's transported, so these awesome things are going on. Stephen has been martyred. That isn't awesome, but, you know, it's, it's been going on. Paul was one of the people... Uh, Saul was one of the people watching as he was martyred. And then other miracles are going on. Meanwhile, here's Saul happening. Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, and he went to the high priest to ask um, him for letters um, to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's what Christianity was called back then, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell on the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. 
So they led him by the hand to Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he said. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord answered Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I find it interesting that you go on straight street because in the Bible it says, take that which out of joint and make straight paths. And Saul at this point was out of joint, but he didn't know it. So Paul wrote Ephesians, but at this, in this account, he's called Saul. Why the name change? It's not something like Abram and Abraham or Sarah and Sarai. It is Saul's name was a Hebrew name. Paul's name is a Roman name. And so when he starts ministering to the Gentiles, he changes his name so that he can flow, like when in Rome, do as the Romans. That's kind of what it was. So he changed his name. The Lord didn't. This is how Paul describes himself. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Concerning the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. And concerning righteousness, which is of the law, blameless. That's how he describes himself. In fact, he was tutored by Gamaliel, who was the one when Jesus was um, going, the Pharisees and everybody, priests were talking about what to do with Jesus. He said, let him alone. If he's of God, then it'll stand. We can't do anything about it. But if he's not, it'll, it'll dissipate. That was Gamaliel. And that's who trained Paul. In 2 Corinthians 11.22, he says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. So he was confident in his upbringing. And yet, in 1 Corinthians, he describes himself to the Gentiles like this. For I am the least of all the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God... I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Paul makes no um, bones about who is in him and who gives him the strength. His, his letters all say in Christ, through Christ, by Christ. There is no him in his letters what changed Paul's direction? An encounter with Jesus, the Messiah. In Galatians 1, 11 to 14, it says, 
Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I receive my message from no human source, and no one taught me. Instead, I received it direct from Jesus Christ. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion. I violently persecuted God's church, and I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for my traditions of my ancestors, for the traditions of my ancestors. So he knew, he knew, he thought he knew that he was following God's laws and precepts when he, he was persecuting the church. He was sure the way was not the way. He was convinced of this. So why did Paul write Ephesians? He was called to the Gentiles. This was the time that, uh, if you remember the woman at the well, Jesus went to her and she was saying, where do we worship? Do we worship where the Jews say or do we worship? She was a Samaritan. Do we worship on the, um, the mountain that Jacob gave us? And he says, you don't even know what you're talking about. But there will come a day when people will worship in spirit and in truth. And this time in Acts was what he was talking about. So Ephesians was written to encourage the disciples that were converted Gentiles in Ephesus. In Ephesians 1:15 to 18, it says, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord and of your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you may grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are rich and glorious, the rich, his rich and glorious inheritance. So he wanted them to gain spiritual wisdom and insight, to grow in the knowledge of God, and have their hearts flooded with light. And you wonder why, why did they need that encouragement? Well, um, these Ephesians, they needed encouraging, encouraging because there was moral, political, and religious difficulties. I've already said what the moral uh, situation was. There was a pagan temple worship, human trafficking, selling of babies for money, bustling city troubles, Jewish community was not convinced they were truly worthy of being in the family of God, and Old Testament leaders um, that were in simple... Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Just a minute. Let me stop here. So not only did these new Gentile converts have the moral issues that they were coming out of, like we do today when you become a Christian, but they also had the Jewish community that was like, mm, I don't know if you can come in unless you're circumcised. And Paul was talking how circumcision was made with hands as a sign of the covenant. It wasn't the covenant. It was a sign of the covenant. And Jesus was the fulfillment of the covenant. And so now our hearts are circumcised by the Holy Spirit. 
other Old Testament leaders that have been in similar situations, political situations that are difficult, and yet changes can happen, are Daniel, Nehemiah, Esther, Joseph, Solomon, and the list goes on. If hearts change, the climate doesn't matter. And so Paul wanted to make sure that he was shoring up the spirits of these Gentile believers, that they could stand strong. And that's the reason Ephesians was written. And so many times, you know, we can think, oh, our city, our government, our land is in such turmoil, and we can get so focused politically that we forget our first love. We forget what our, our true calling is. And so in Acts in 19, 19 to 20, um, there was these priests that, that found that Paul and Silas and all of them that were speaking in the name of Jesus and seeing deliverances happen, they thought they would try it. Well, these uh, demoniacs, they turned on these priests and they said, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? And they jumped on them and attacked them so viciously um, that they ran away naked and scared. Um, but then the sorcerers saw the power that Paul had had and the power that these priests did not have. And in one day, it says that the sorcerers burned all their books worth 50 drachmas. And a drachma was one full day's wage. So hearts changed regardless of the political climate because the power of God was seen. We can trust that when we are focused on the Lord, when we are uh, moving in his love, firmly grounded, that things can change regardless of what the political climate is. It says, when this became known, the Jews and Greeks living in es Ephesus were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. It just happened. It was a heart change. And a number who practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them. That's what I was talking about. In 2 Corinthians 10, it says, Though we live in a world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The plan and purpose from the beginning was a united body. The Jews and the Gentiles, it was time for them to dwell together in unity. The Bible talks about the Jews being the builders. They get the privilege of being the builders. And yet the group as a whole rejected the cornerstone Christ. But there are those that know that Jesus is Lord. But they get that honor of being the builders. In Hebrews 10, 16, it says, This is the covenant I will make with them after that time. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them in their minds. So no longer are they on tablets, 
They're in our minds. And we do that by putting the word in us. Paul says in Ephesians 3, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, for the sake of the Gentiles, if indeed you have heard the administration of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there may be known to me the mystery, as I wrote before briefly. Referring to this, when you, um, you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is in other generations was not made known, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles, prophets, in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are now heirs and fellow members of the body, the fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I was made a minister. So they're fellow heirs. The Jews are still part of the body in Jesus. According to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power, to me the very least of all saints, there he says it again, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of grace and to enlighten all the people as with the plan of the mystery which in ages has been hidden. Again, he refers to that as the mystery that is now revealed. And he often refers to marriage as the mystery. This is things that were all along happening in the Old Testament. Jesus was referred to all through. But they weren't able to see it until this time when Paul is speaking about it. For this reason, I bend my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that is, you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the width, the length, the height, the depth, to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to, the, to all fullness of God. Now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and Christ Jesus to all generations forever. Rooted is a deeply, if you were talking about a tree, a deeply rooted tree is resilient and strong enough to endure difficult storms and swirling winds. With roots firmly grounded, flexibility is much more essentially attained so that the tree bends and shifts as needed and is far less likely to break. FairfaxCountyGov says trees anchor, uh, tree roots anchor the tree in the soil, keeping it straight and stable to be able to absorb water from the soil. Tree roots take nutrients and chemicals out of the soil and use them to produce what they need for the tree's growth, development, and repair. Damage to the roots can cause damage to the tree branches, cause it to wither or fall, 
Roots give nutrients to the stem and store foods for the tree. Roots are the source of crucial drugs that we use and has potential to save lives. The church, in rooted and grounded in Christ, is to be salt and light. We are to be known by our love. In Galatians 5:22 to 26, it says, "But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the spirit, let us keep step with the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, or envying each other." And I think so often in this climate, it's been tough with political stuff. It's been tough with changing um, ordinances and just life itself. But if we are rooted and grounded in the Lord, that love is going to refresh us. That nutrient that he brings, brings life to us. And we don't have to be um, the first to be online. I, I don't want to get persnickety, but I know that our focus as a global church has been, oh, I need to say this online. I need to slap them with this hard comment. I know it's just going to cut them down to the roots and get them to stop saying what they're saying. And I feel like our focus needs to so be, what is the Spirit saying? How do I flow in this nation at this time in history the way he wants me to? Paul was running headlong, doing what he was sure was glorifying God. He was positive of this. And then after those three days, what like scales fell off his eyes. And that was symbolic of what he wasn't seeing in the spirit. And I think we so often need to go back to the Lord and say, search me, Lord. If there's any scales on my eyes that I'm running after this and I'm sure I'm in the right, but are we? And the only way to tell is to just line ourselves up with the plumb line of the word. The word is never going to lie. The word is never going to change. We can have different things that happen, we can have different people's opinions, but if we use everything according to, or apply the word to everything, then we can stay straight. It's our true north. A friend of mine that I was just recently talking to, she was in a prayer meeting and had led it for many years, and then pretty soon people were finding that prophecy was very, you know, jazzy and they were enjoying flowing in it, and there is a place for prophecy, and I, I definitely agree with that. But they were putting that above the word. And she said to the leaders of this group, I think we need to go back to the plumb line of the word with this. Some of these prophecies are getting way off the word. And they basically told her, I think you need to find another prayer meeting because we're going to do what we're going to do. Well, if you take the word out, then there's no, there's no dividing. There's no plumb line. And you can go anywhere. And so when we hear things that can make us go, oh, what's going on with that? Because there's just constant news bombardment that can bring fear in the moment. It can bring anger. 
And we have to bring it back to the word and say, okay, Lord, I'm just going to put this before you. How do I respond to this? Do I respond to this? And allow the Lord to let our roots go down into the soil that's good, that he can bring about those fruits of the Spirit. Because in that is where the change happens. Google describes grounded as the purpose of grounding, or wait, where was I? Yes, now we're talking about grounded. The purpose of grounding is to protect both the building occupants, now this is an electrical idea, and the equipment from the danger of high voltage, which can cause reduction in the operational efficiency of the machine. And when I read that, I thought of external things that come into us. And if we're not grounded in the word, in Jesus, when those things come out, they can cause us to implode in fear, in doubt, in whatever, anger to other people. But if we're grounded, the, that thing is going to go through us and nobody's, nobody's hurt in the process. So I thought that is really good. The other thing is it said in like grounding rods, the resist, resistivity of the soil plays a huge role in efficient grounding. And in Luke 8, it talks about soil of our hearts being so important. So if our soil isn't flowing, the word can come in, and then it just pools. It doesn't go down deep. It just, it's soggy. So we have to make sure that our soil is right, and we do that by spending time in the word. The electrical code book states, Electrical systems that are ground... I'm married to an electrician, so... (laughs) Electrical systems that are grounded shall be connected to the earth in a manner that will limit voltage imposed by lightning, again, outward sources, line surges, unintentional contact with higher voltage. You might get around people that are just... And you you need that that... Uh, fuse box to slow it down and it will stabilize the voltage to earth during normal operations we're supposed to be the stabilizers it was breaking my heart and I would talk to my sister and I would be like am I going apostate am I falling away because it seemed like the global church out there was saying something that my spirit was not hearing. And I just thought, what is going on? And so we are called to be the stabilizers. When your neighbors or people around you in the grocery store, whatever, are freaking out, we're to be the ones that will be like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And they will see, wow, how do they have peace in the midst of the storm? Well, it's because he said, Jesus said, you will have trouble on this earth, but be of good cheer. I've overcome. So in this time, I think we missed the mark. But I don't think that's, you know, oh, well, we missed the mark. We're never going to be. We can do better. We can get grounded and then go out and be like, I'm not going to be moved by what I see, what I hear. I am going to be standing firmly grounded in Jesus and his word. 
Romans 8 says, and this is how we're grounded. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, we don't know what the future holds, nor any power, no government authority, you can rest in Jesus, neither height nor depth, nor any else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. In Galatians, it says, we have been crucified with Christ. We no longer live, but Christ lives in us. The life I now live in the body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Second Timothy says, I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard that which I have entrusted into, unto him against that day. He's our guard. He's going to go before us. Philippians says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Dwell here in your mind. Dwell there. Let it be your habitation. Whatever you have learned or received and heard from me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. In Ephesians, it says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for the use of edifying, that it ministers grace to the hearers. That's our job on the earth. Peacemakers, grace, and it's not easy. But when we are rooted and grounded in his love, and again, thanks be unto him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. He's able to do it. I can't do it. It's too hard. It's a daily thing. But when we spend time, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dwell on the truth. I'm going to dwell where you reside, Lord. Then it happens naturally. The fruit happens. The tree produces when the soil is right and the roots are down. It just happens because he does it in us. And it says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for the use of edifying, that it ministers grace to the hearers. You know, we see all those let's go Brandon flags, and we can laugh. <laughs> so funny. Don't really like administration right now. Don't really like the governor. Don't really like this. Don't really like that. But that isn't our job. It says, let no corrupt communication proceed. We should not be the ones laughing at those things. In Psalm 1, it says, don't stand in the, the way of the scoffer. Don't sit in the seat of the scoffer. We should not be the ones making political jokes. And I know I'm probably stepping on toes today. 
But we have to be the ones that are different. That when we walk into a room and there's making fun, the Bible says we're supposed to pray for our leaders that it'll go well with us. They're doing what they do. They're making choices that they feel is right. We need to be the ones praying and saying, Lord, I'm, I'm going to root and ground myself in you, and I need to know how do I pray because I don't like this situation. But not being out there, being the ones carrying the flags or, or, or being the scoffers. We should not do that. We need to train our mouths in any situation to watch what we say, watch what we hear and let go in. I get, and I'm sure you all do too, Instagram posts constantly, did you know, blah, 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 blah. Usually what I'll do is I'll go and search on Reuters and see what the real thing is. Because people like to push news so that you'll keep watching. The more sensational it is, the more they've got your attention. We need to stop that. Say, Lord, I need you to get my attention. I need to respond to this crisis the way you would. Spend time in the Gospels reading how Jesus responded to different things. Spend time in these epistles, these letters of Paul. They're in, my mom used to have an acronym, Go Eat Peaches and Cream. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. As you do, you'll feed your soul. You'll have a dessert. There's so much in those books. I just kind of touched on a little step of it. But we can be encouraged. I want you to be encouraged today. The sky isn't falling for you. The Lord is still on the throne. Yesterday, today, forever, he's the same. He guards our hearts. It says man's hearts will fail them in the last days for fear. We don't have to be that way. We can say, I know who I have believed. I'm persuaded that he's able to keep what I've committed to him. And he is. I want to pray with you today. And there'll also be prayer up here after the service if you would like prayer. Father, thank you for the time in your word today. We ask, Lord, that you would root and ground us in you. Oh, Lord, that we would be able to know the length, the height, the depth, the width. Oh, it sounds so wonderful. Lord, do that in us, that above all we could ask or think, minister to hearts today. I pray, Lord, that all of us will return to the plumb line of your word. We'll say we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be angry. You've defeated it all. And you're victorious. We give you praise today. You're worthy of it all as we sang that song. Day and night, night and day, let incense arise, the prayers of the saints. Oh, Father, do a work in our hearts that people will truly know us by our love. Not a loosey-goosey gospel, a greasy grace, but God, true love that knows you're righteous, that knows you're good, and yet walking in such a love that it's just attracting 
to those without. In Jesus' name, we thank you for it. Amen.